Glory be to God alone. We're going to be looking at a man, uh, John chapter 9. We're going to be looking at a man this, this morning who was brought to this earth for the, and put on this earth for one simple reason to give glory to God. We're going to look at this, this man this morning. I'm going to start, though, by reading the text and getting familiar with it. There's going to be there's some, uh, in this text, you notice there's going to be some repeated phrases and terms and words that uh, put the focus on this, this passage. So uh, we'll be going back over those. But for, for now, let's just read the passage of Dan, Daniel, John chapter 9, beginning at verse 1. And as he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he should be born blind? Jesus answered, It was neither this man's sin nor his parents, but it was in order that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me as long as it is day. Night is coming when no man can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had said this, he spat on the ground, made clay of the spittle, and applied, it, and applied the clay to his eyes, and said to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated sent. And so he went away and washed, and came back seeing. The neighbors, therefore, and those who previously saw him as a beggar, were saying, Is not this the one who used to sit and beg? Others were saying, well, this is he. Still others were saying, no, but he is like him. He, and that's the blind man, kept saying, I am the one. Therefore, they were saying to him, how then were your eyes opened? He answered, he answered, the man who was called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes. And he said to me, go to Siloam and wash. So I went away and washed and I received sight. And they said to him, Where is he? He said, I do not know. They brought brought to the Pharisees him who was formerly blind. Now it was the Sabbath on the day when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. And therefore, the Pharisees also were asking him how he received his sight. And he said to them, he applied clay to my eyes. I washed and I see. Therefore, some of the Pharisees were saying, this man is not from God because he does not keep the Sabbath. But others were saying, how can a man who is a sinner perform such signs? And there was division among them. They said, therefore, to the blind man again, what do you say about him since he opened your eyes? And he said, he is a prophet. The Jews, therefore, did not believe it of him. Then he'd then it, then it been blind and, and received sight until they called the parents of the very one who had received his sight and questioned them, saying, Is this your son, whom you say was born blind? Then how does he now see? His parent answered them and said, We know that this is our son and that he was born blind. But how he now sees, we do not know. Or who opened his eyes, we do not know. Ask him. He is of age. He can speak for himself. 
His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess him to be Christ, he should be put out of the synagogue. For this reason, his parents says, he is of age, ask him. So a second time they called the man who had been blind and said to him, Give glory to God, we know that this man is a sinner. He therefore answered, Whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that whereas I was blind, now I see. They said therefore to him, What did he do to you? How, How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I told you already, and you did not listen. Why do you hear it again? You do not want to become his disciples too, do you? And they reviled him and said, You are his disciples, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he is from. The man answered and said to them, Well, here is an amazing thing, that you do not know where he is from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not hear sinners, but if anyone is God-fearing and does his will, he hears him. Since the beginning of time, it has never been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a person born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered and said to him, you were born entirely in sin, and, we, and, and you are teaching us, and they put him out. Jesus heard that they had put him out, and finding him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered and said, and who is he, Lord, that I may believe him? believe in him. Jesus said, you have both seen him and he is the one who was talking with you. And he said, Lord, I believed and he worshiped him. And Jesus said, for judgment, I came into this world and those who do not see that those who do not see may see and that those who see may become blind. Those are the Pharisees who were with him and heard these things and said to him, we are not blind too, are we? Jesus said to him, if you were blind, you would have no sin. But since you say, we see, your sin remains. Now, much of this, I think, is self-explanatory, and the points are well made just by the conversation. Going back through here now, by way of introduction... This passage, as we've, I think we've seen, is a metaphor of spiritual blindness. And um, <clears throat> we know that spiritual blindness versus spiritual sight permeates this, this whole text. Matter of fact, it's all over Scripture. Uh, in both the Old and New Testament, blindness and darkness um, <clears throat> are metaphors for unbelief. And we know that light and the ability to see are metaphors for belief. And an example like 2 Corinthians 4, 3 and 4 says... And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, in whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they may not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Now, in this passage, we're going to have a cast of characters. Of course, Jesus and the blind man are central to this, even though Jesus only says very few things in here. The blind man does most of the talking in this one. But we have Jesus, we have the blind men, we have the disciples up front, and then we have the neighbors, and of course the Pharisees, and then the parents of the Pharisees. And so all these interacting characters with this man are going to tell us our story, give us the account of this man born blind. Now the actual healing itself, verses 1 through 7, let's just walk through there. 
Verse 1, as he passed by, he saw the man blind from birth. And again, this whole picture as we go through, there's going to be this whole story of this historical account. I say story, but recognize it's not a fairy tale. It's a real historical account. And this historical account is a picture of salvation itself, how it happens with each and every one who believes. You know what it started out? He saw a man. He saw a man. Anybody that's a true believer, he saw you. He knows you. He knows each and every one. Remember Ephesians 1? Before the world began, what happened? He chose us in him before creation itself. Now, what starts us off here is Jesus' disciples ask a question based upon a, a, a common misconception and, quite frankly, just a common heresy, false teaching of that day. Verse 2, uh, and, and this is the, the part the disciples play, but it's, an, it's a key role. It brings out a point that's going to be referenced as we go through this. Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he should be born blind? Now, right off the bat, you might be saying, wait a minute. If the man was born blind, how did he sin to become born blind? But yet, in light of the heresy of that day, that's a legitimate question. Because there were that, that false teaching, part of that false teaching stems from the story of, you know the account of Jacob and Esau? Jacob and Esau in the womb and Mary born where... Esau came first, and kind of you can suddenly see Jacob hanging onto the heel, and out he comes to. And, and so, they, so they, the rabbis, some of the rabbis in their rabbinic tradition taught that a person, at least they gave the unborn baby that much, that the person in the womb could actually sin. And so if you commit a sin, and if it was a bad enough sin, you could be born with some kind of physical deformity. I don't believe it. I hope nobody here does, but that was a common thought. And then, of course, parents. If your parents did something really ugly, nasty, and vile, they could have a child that was born with some kind of a defect. And that is a real, real, uh, <clears throat> a real belief. And that stems back to uh, a misinterpre- misinterpretation of Exodus, uh, in Exodus about the... Uh, about sinning, being passed on from one generation to another. Okay, that's not what that means at all. What, what that passage is talking about, if you, Israel, nation, sin, generations beyond could pay the price for that. And we've seen that throughout Scripture, right? Where the, the nation fell into sin, and for generations they were in, like, the northern captivity, the southern captivity, the, in the time of the judges, problems hit problems came in and all of them were a result of sin now let's let's move forward here now i'm going to pass on this part i'm just going to briefly state uh what's going on here uh in eight in uh, verses four and five we must work the works of him who sent me this is the message from jesus to his disciples and what jesus was telling them and this would be a message all by itself really um, <clears throat> we must work the works of him who sent me as long as it is day when night has come when no man can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And 
The people that had perfect sight, the Pharisees in particular in this case, uh, who had very good eyesight, did not see the light of the world. They rejected the light of the world. And what Jesus is saying here, while I am here, I have work to do. And he said, we have work to do because I'm not going to be here. And it's referring to his last remaining months here on earth. This is John chapter 8. If you back up, we're not going to do it. You back up to John chapter 6. You have the, the, the feeding of the 5,000. And speaking of the miracles, uh, John, has, John, John references eight miracles in his gospel. We know there was thousands performed. John references eight. There's one miracle that is referenced in all four gospels. And that's the feeding of the 5,000. That's the only one. There's some referenced in all three of the synoptic gospels, but only that one in all four. And that's kind of handy when you stop and think about it for whatever you're in, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. When you come to that passage about the feeding of the 5,000, at that point, you've got approximately six months till the crucifixion and resurrection. So it's a good time stamp in the middle of the gospel. So just a little helpful hint, and there'll be no extra charge for that this morning. Now, let's look at some of, let's, okay, now the miracle itself, verse 6 and 7, this is, this is important. When he had said this, he spat on the ground and made clay of the spittle and applied the clay, or some translate it mud, to his eyes. Now, that's not an old home remedy. That's just what Jesus did. You won't find this in any, you know, they didn't, you won't, you go to the uh, first century Merck's manual, it's not there. Okay, it's, it's not there. You won't find this. Nobody did this. Jesus did this, making a point. And, it, and the only point we can see is he did that to have him go wash something out. We're not, nothing's explained other than he did it and he said, go wash it out. That's it. Now, even back in first century medical knowledge, if somebody had an eye problem, they were blind. Do you think making a mud ball or, or clay and shoving it in the eye would uh, have any medicinal effect on it? No. No. And then he said, verse 7, go and wash it in the pool of Siloam, Siloam which is translated scent. And he went away and washed and came back seeing. The point, a couple of things here we need to look at. Um, he went and he washed. Okay, hang on a minute. He saw him. He, he went and he washed. He, see, the, uh, <clears throat> he tells him, go and wash. That's the command. And the man did that. He was obedient to the command. And what happened? The, his obedience uh, had results. The man did, and he returned seeing. Now, the, uh, let's look at the name. Now we'll look at this with the neighbors. But this is important to know that he, he did it. He gave a command. The blind man obeyed the command, went to this pool. Remember, he was a blind man. Jesus did not take him there. It doesn't say anybody else took him there. He somehow, some way, found his way to that pool, washed, and then returned. And um, one thing to remember, 
about it. By the time this man did return from the pool, Jesus and his disciples had left. They were gone. They left. They were not there anymore. So the blind man now was there all by himself, now seeing, having to answer just really an onslaught of questions by a whole group of different people. The first people we come to is the neighbors, verses 8 through 12. The neighbors, therefore, and those who previously saw, previously saw him as a beggar were saying, is not this the one who used to sit and beg? And others were saying, no, this is he. Still others were saying, no, but he is like him. And then he, that's the blind man, kept saying, I am he. I'm, I'm the guy. I'm the one. And what's interesting to me is you've probably got all these people that passed by who knows how many times, paid him no real mind. And when it came back, he came back seeing half of the group didn't even recognize who he was. Well, it kind of looks like him. Oh, I don't think it's him. And the guy says, yeah, it is. I am the person. I am that man. I mean, it just shows you here that the, uh, how often, you know, somebody sitting there in need just gets totally ignored. The neighbors and the group of people that walked by him and saw him on a regular basis sitting out there begging, usually in the neighborhood of the synagogue, um, they didn't really recognize him. They didn't pay all that much attention. But I, I go back to verse 1. And when Jesus passed by, he saw that man. He saw that man. And I have to take that he saw that man in a very special way. He saw that man. He knew that man. Why did he know that man? Because in verse 3, um, <clears throat> that the works of God might be displayed in him. This was a special man Brought there, created there, born for this day, for this purpose. He is a man of the providence of God. Think about that. A man of the providence of God. That uh, this, he was there for the single purpose of Jesus performing this miracle on him. That's, that's the reason he existed, is for that. And we'll, just keep, we'll, see, we'll see even more about this later. In verse 10, therefore they were saying to him, okay, the, the man, I guess, convinced him enough. He kept saying, I am the one. And then verse 10, therefore they were saying to him, how then were your eyes opened? He answered, he answered the man who was called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. So I went away and washed and I received my sight. And they said to him, where is he? He said, I do not know. I do not know. Now verse, verse 11 again. This man, and here's the first, here's the testimony right here. Here's his testimony. And through this whole thing, and he's going to get pressed real hard once he gets to the Pharisees. But from the very beginning, he was not, he says, the man who is called Jesus made clay, anointed my eyes, and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. And this is important. So I went away and washed, and I received my sight. And then now Jesus is gone. And so, verse 13, they're going to bring him to the Pharisees. 
They're always helpful. So they brought him to the Pharisee. They brought, <clears throat> they brought to the Pharisees him who was formerly blind. So now our blind man is now referred to as the formerly blind man. Now it was a Sabbath. Well, right, right there you know here's trouble. When you've got anybody doing anything on the Sabbath, here's trouble when it comes to the Pharisees, the legalists, okay, who have so perverted. I mean, it's just, and you're going to see in here, they're just, the Pharisees, just rigid misuse of the whole concept of the Sabbath. It was a total uh, mess, mess. Matter of fact, we don't have time to go into it, but if you study the Sabbath and how they use the Sabbath, or I should say misuse the Sabbath in that day, they use the Sabbath, quite frankly, to control the people. Legalism, legalize them. If you do something wrong, we're going to get you. If you do something wrong, we might throw you out of the synagogue, and we'll talk about that in a minute too. And so they just, just held, they used that, their false understanding, misinterpretation of the synagogue to hold power over the people. Not unlike some do today in our livelihoods in other areas. Now, it was on the Sabbath, verse 14, on the day when Jesus made the clay. And those, those words are all important. It was on the Sabbath when Jesus made the clay. Sabbath, no work of any kind, so the Pharisees teach. When actually the Sabbath meant you don't go to your normal job. You stay in fellowship with your family, Right. Uh, this is, and again, this is not the first time that Jesus has a run-in with them about the Sabbath. And I find it interesting, a lot of miracles mentioned throughout the Gospels, Jesus did them on a Sabbath. Quite frankly, I think he did it to jerk their chains. I really do. I think he could, because on the, on, in the early accounts in Matthew and Mark, where they had a, he had a, and they were upset about him doing that, where Jesus declared himself as Lord of the Sabbath. Okay? And so he think, he's coming from that perspective, and, and we should think about him too from that, that he is actually the Lord of the Sabbath, and he can do, do anything he wants, quite frankly, but one thing he never did was defy the law. So whatever he did was not a violation of anything in the Mosaic law, including the Sabbath laws. He never violated any of that stuff. Now, Verse 15, again, the Pharisees were asking him uh, how he received his sight. And again, because of the Sabbath, they're trying to get, they're, they're going for information. They don't care. The Pharisees, they, they, like many in our society today that claim to love everybody, these guys didn't give a hoot about this blind man or formerly blind man. They were after Jesus. They wanted him. They were trying to get get something on him that they could persecute him for. They've been trying to persecute him now for the last almost three years. So this is, this is nothing new. They're, they don't care about this guy. They care even less about him than the people that walked by him all the time and never paid him, a, paid him any mind. Nobody really cared about this poor guy. He's just been sitting out there. We're going to find out later that he, his parents weren't much better. But anyway, I digress. Now, we keep moving here. Verse 16. Therefore, some of the Pharisees were saying, this man is not from God because he does not keep the Sabbath. But others were saying, how can a, how can a man who is a sinner perform such signs? And there was division among them. 
And to that I say, good. <laughs> I'm glad. In this case, I like division. How can a, how can a, can a sinner perform such signs? Does that at all sound familiar? It should sound very familiar to uh, another historical account in the Gospel of John. Remember Nicodemus? Back in chapter 3, verse 2. Nicodemus, a Pharisee, by the way, who said, um, I'll just pick it on verse 1. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. He was part of the Sanhedrin. He was up there. This man came to him by night and, and, and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God as a teacher, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with them. That's a natural, logical, biblically, theologically accurate conclusion. Nobody can do these kinds of miracles unless God is with them. Verse 17. They said, therefore, to the blind man again, what do you say about him since he opened your eyes? I love this. I, I love the question. Here's the the. The people, the Pharisees, the keepers of the law, the, the teachers of the law. And within the Pharisees, you have scribes, which are the high mucky mucks, you know, the real experts. And so you have within the Pharisees, the, the people that proclaim themselves to be the teachers of the law. They ask this formerly blind man who's been blind from birth. So how much does he really know about anything? We're going to find out more than them. OK, we're going to find out more than the Pharisees. Verse, let me read that again. What do you say about him? Since he opened your eyes. And look, without hesitation, you know, and he said, he is a prophet. That's basically, that's one step up from Nicodemus's answer, who was a high-ranking official, a Pharisee who was a member of the Sanhedrin. He is a prophet. Strong statement, acknowledging Jesus is of God. Matter of fact, by saying a prophet, he's saying Jesus was actually sent by God. I mean, think back to the Old Testament prophets. You know, he's, he, the blind man put him in the category of Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel, and Daniel, and the rest of them. I mean, that's some pretty, some pretty, pretty powerful company, biblically speaking. So that's where the, that's where the blind man puts him. Uh, the, Pharisee, I mean, the Pharisees were at a loss as to where this Jesus was from, well, and they didn't want to... Well, they kept re rejecting him, so they didn't really want to know. Hey, you know what? They might have been at a loss and wondering what's going on here. The blind man, no doubt, had no doubt whatsoever in his mind that this Jesus was a prophet from God. I mean, that's, that's amazing. Now, we get to verse 18, and the word says the Jews therefore did not believe. There's another shock, huh? The Jews here, remember, in the Gospel of John, the term Jew, John uses the term Jews synonymous with Jewish leadership. Okay? So when he says Jews, it, we're still talking about the Pharisees and whoever else was part of that leadership clique. So verses 18 to 23, let's read that. Then the, then the Jews, therefore, did not believe it of him that he had been blind. Look at that. Now they're saying, now he, he's never been blind, he's a fraud. See that? The Jews, therefore, did not believe it of him that he had been blind and had received sight until they called the parents of, of the very one who had received his sight and questioned them, saying, 
Is this your son who you say was born blind? Then how does he now see? His parents answered them and said, Well, we know that this is our son and that he was born blind. But how he now sees, we do not know. Or who opened his eyes, we do not know. Ask him. He is of age. He'll speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews. For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess him to be Christ, he should be put out of the synagogue. For this reason, his parents said, he is of age, ask him. The kids are gone, or I'd tell them, kids. <laughs> if the kids were here, I'd say, kids, be thankful for your parents. That they love you, keep you, and don't throw you under the bus. How would you like to have parents like this? Oh, he's of age. Talk to him. I, you know, they went into the Sergeant Schultz routine. I know nothing. Know nothing. The, well, in verse 19, they were asking a very intimidating question. Remember, in light of uh, verse 2, remember the, remember the, the question of the disciples? Um, was this guy born blind? Uh, who sinned? You know, who sinned was it? Who sinned? He or the parents? <laughs> that caused him to be born blind. See that? They were, they were kind of under a, a cloud anyway. Is this your son whom you say was born blind? I mean, you're under the hot lamp now, right? You're under the, you're under the lamp now. And um, they, the, the intim- they, they were in, definitely intimidated, and I would have to say the intimidated and cowardly parents dodged this question. His parents answered and said to them, we know these are son and that he was born blind. But, um, <clears throat> but see, they dodged the second question. The question says, how does he now see? His parents answered, well, we know that he's been blind, but we don't know how he's seeing. If you want to know that, you're going to have to ask him. You're going to have to ask him. We have no idea. It's, it's another way of saying we, we don't know. And I, I firmly believe in their heart of hearts, we don't want to know, we don't want anything to do with this, because we don't want to get thrown out of the synagogue. Because that, to be put out of the synagogue means you are effectively banished from Jewish society. Which means you could be out of work, you have no more friends, they don't want to associate with you because you got the old guilt by association thing going on. They don't want anything to do with that. They're, you're on your own, and it's a very lonely life. And again, about the parents, I'll just throw a question out there that I'm not really asking an answer for, but how many, how many folks here, if you had a disabled child that couldn't themselves, you know, disabled enough that they couldn't earn a living, would put them out on the streets to beg for beg food? Anybody here do that? No. No, you wouldn't do that. You would take care of them. Of course you would. And so they were, again, and so they're getting nowhere. The parents, they ducked the question. So now in verse 24, well, the parents said, verse 23, for this reason, his parents said, he's of age, ask him. They don't want anything to do with it. They're gone. They're out of here. All they want to do is go home and shut the door. Now, verse 24 So a second time they called the man in who had been blind and said to him, again, I love this about this man, this formerly blind man. These next 10 verses or so, 
the Pharisees are really, they're going to do their best to intimidate this guy. They're, they're, going, to, they're going to throw everything they got at him, verbally speaking. They're, just, they're going after this guy. They're, they're going to try to make him say something. I'm not even sure. You'll see when they just, they're, just going to, they're going to bait this guy. They're going to browbeat this, this man. Let's, let's just pick it up and look at it now. Verse, verse 24. So a second time, they called the man who had been born blind and said to him, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. This man is speaking of Christ. You give glory to God because we know that Jesus is a sinner. That's the Pharisees speaking. He therefore, and that's the blind, the former blind man now, he therefore answered, whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that whereas I was blind, now I see. And we're going to find out his sight goes beyond just the physical. Verse 26. They said therefore to him, what did he do to you? How did your eyes open? Again, they're trying to get what kind of work, what kind of thing did he do? Because remember, remember the Sabbath, they're trying to get him for something. What did he do? Verse 27, I love this answer. I tell you, this, this man, this former blind man, he had spunk. I'll tell you, he, I love him. I love this guy. I want to meet him. He answered them, I told you already, and you did not listen. <laughs> I love that. They're browbeating him, and he's just giving, he's just, he's just, he, he's a stand-up guy. I like this guy. He's a stand-up guy. We could use more of them. He says, I told you already, and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? And then I, lo- I love the follow-up. You do not want to become his disciple too, do you? <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, that had to send him over the edge, and it did. It did. It just, that just, that did. Boy, they just, they just went, they just went nuts right there. That's it. And they reviled him and said, you are his disciples, but we are disciples of Moses. Oh, here we go again. Here's the, now we're going to play the Moses card. Okay. We're going to play that. We, we know who our leadership, we know when we get our information, we are of Moses. That was very typical of the guys. Think of the other passages. They pulled this kind of stuff like, oh, like, we of our father, we of our father, Abraham, right? They see that they, they pulled this all the time. Like, oh, we we are the real deal here. <laughs> You're the phony. No, just the opposite is true. You know, and I love it. You do not want to become his disciple too, do you? I, I don't know if if he just said that or he's trying to be funny or what. I it, I kind of find it comical myself. But boy, I tell you, it, it, it sure tweaked their beaks. He said, they reviled him and said, you are, a, you are his disciple. That I believe is true. But we are disciples of Moses. See, saying Moses is more superior to Jesus. Uh, see, they didn't really know who Jesus was, did they? Had no clue. Verse 29. We know that God has spoken to Moses but as for this man, we do not know where he is from. And again, pro- promoting themselves as the guardian of the law, we are the disciples of Moses. You are the disciples of this person that they reject. And remember from the, the fact that anybody at all even suggests that Jesus is Christ, you're out. 
You're gone. You're gone. They could not intimidate this guy. Remember, this man was blind his entire life. He's had sight for how, we don't know how many hours. And this guy, I, can't, I tell you, this guy is, he is, like I said, the best I can say, this man is a stand-up man. He is really something special. One thing, before we go on, I want to read John 5, 43 to 47. Jesus speaking to them again. Again, to the Pharisees, to his critics. See, this, this is an ongoing battle that Jesus has been having with them. John 5, 43, 47. I'll, I've got it. You can look at it if you want. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. How can you, how can you believe when you, when you receive glory from one or another and do not seek the glory that is from the one and only God? Do you not think that I will accuse you before the Father? The, the one, one who accuses you is Moses, in whom you have set your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? See, we, Jesus had this conversation with them before. Now, of course, Jesus isn't there when these spiritual giants were, were saying, we are followers of Moses. They were, they were debating or, or browbeating this formerly blind man, thinking they had a, a, a soft touch. Well, they did not have a soft touch. Like I say, this man was a stand-up. And his response in verses 29 to 33, this, his, he literally schools the Pharisees. He's taken the Pharisees to school. Okay, okay, you bright boys. Let's 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 go for some let's go for some former blind man teaching here, one that doesn't claim to know anything except. I went, I washed, and I see. Verse twenty nine. We know that God has spoken to Moses by that we do not know this from. The man answered and said to him, "Well, <laughs> again, well, here's an amazing thing." That you do not know where he is from, and yet he opened my eyes. And again, here's where the education comes in. That they, of course, didn't accept, but here it is anyway. We know that God does not hear sinners. This again, this is the blind, this is the former blind man speaking. We know that God does not hear sinners. But if anyone is God-fearing and does his will, he hears him. You want a little quick lesson on answered prayer? Here it is. <laughs> Here it is, right here. He just said, verse 20 to 32. Since the beginning of time, it has never been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a person born blind. You know, he's got a real point there. <laughs> That's true. In verse 33, if this man were not from God, he could do nothing. He could do absolutely nothing. He's in, this formerly blind man is in agreement with Nicodemus way back in chapter 3, which is way back in the first year of Christ's ministry. Verse 34, the Pharisees, of course, with their extremely harsh response, which is typical of them, then they, that's the Pharisees, answered and said to him, you, are, you were born entirely in sins, and you are teaching us? We're, now we're back to that misconception again, aren't we? 
that by your sin, either you must have you either committed some sin in the womb or your parents did some grievous enough sin that you would be born blind. Therefore, and they, they just took it another step further and said to them, you were born entirely in sins, okay, uh, and you are teaching us, and they put him out, meaning they, they just put him out of the synagogue. And some would say that was it, but it's not it. It's not it. Because now we're going to look at the last little section here where we're going to see spiritual sight versus spiritual blindness. I love this. Jesus heard that they had put him out and finding him, finding him, he said, do you believe in the son of man? I, you know what this made me think of right, right off the bat? And finding him. Remember the story of a little short guy named Zacchaeus? A little short guy wanted to see Jesus, climbs up in a tree so he could see Jesus. Jesus saw him too. And what did he say to Zacchaeus? The son of man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. And to Zac- he said to Zac- Zacchaeus, salvation has come to your house. Well, salvation has come to this formerly blind man as well. And Jesus, again, he saw him because he knew him, because he was chosen in him before the foundation of the world. He knew him. He knew us. And this is, you know, the Thanksgiving season coming up. Yeah, you can... Forget Halloween. Just move right through Thanksgiving. Hit, you want to hit Reformation Day on the way by? Great. <laughs> but he knew him. He knew him like he knows us. Do you believe in the Son of Man? Again, Son of Man, that's a, that's a term we've heard. When you heard the Son of Man, it's a messianic term. It comes out of Daniel chapter 7. It's also um, a, a a term of deity, because we know the Messiah was divine, and we know this Messiah is Jesus Christ himself, who was here, and, and a lot, they knew it, and that's exactly why the Pharisees said, if anybody points to Jesus as a Christ, you're out. Verse 36, the former blind man answers Jesus, and said, he answered and said, and who is this, and who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, you have both seen him, And he is the one who is talking to you, or talking with you. And he said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. One thing we like in verse 37, where it says, you have both seen him, you have seen him. What they call a perfect indicative, and what that means is, it means it's a completed past action of asserted fact. Another says, you have already seen him. Well, when was that? When you were blind. You saw him when you were blind. You saw him. All you need to do was hear him. All you need to do is actually come and have a face-to-face. That's how it is with all of us who were chosen in him before the foundation of the world. It's just a matter of everything catching up in God's timing. 
So here we are. And Jesus clearly identifies himself as the Messiah. And look at the, the verse 38. There's the, there's the former blind man's declaration of faith right there. It says, well, number one, <clears throat> verse 38, it says he believed and he worshipped him. The Lord says, Lord, I believe and followed that with worship. He worshipped him. You don't, worship a, you don't worship a mere man or an, even an angel. No, no, that's idolatry. That does not happen. That shall not happen. He worshipped him. He worshipped him. Which again, it's all through this whole thing. Jesus saw him. He then said, go and wash. He went and washed. And he came back seeing. And here's the end result of coming back and seeing. And then Jesus goes on now in verse 39 to state his, very briefly, he states his earthly mission. For judgment I came into the, and this is, I believe, more for the benefit of those guys listening in on the conversation. There's Pharisees lingering around. He said, uh, well, for judgment I came into this world that those who do not see may see, like our friend here, and those who see may become blind, like those who think they know everything will just be like Pharaoh and the rest of them be hardened and just put to the side. Verse 40, now we have those that are, this, we got the spiritual blindness here coming up. Those of the Pharisees who were with him heard these things and said to him, we are not blind too, are we? You want the short answer? Yes, you, you are. You, you are blind. You are. But Jesus will give them the long answer. Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no sin. If you were physically blind like this man you've been browbeating for who knows how many hours, you may not have sin. But since you say we see, as in we see and understand, remember, after all, we, we are of Moses, right? We see, we know, we're of Moses. Well, since you're of Moses and not the Messiah, your sin remains. Your sin remains. Say that's the whole thing, the, the conclusion. You know, again, I think the conclusion of this whole thing, and we have just enough time to do it. Let's go back and take a look, and we'll close there. John chapter 3, right from the beginning, this was the message of our Lord to everybody who would listen. This first message here, this is to the, one of the Pharisees he was talking to, which was Nicodemus, who at this point in time, at this particular point in Nicodemus' life, at this conversation, Nicodemus did not walk away from this conversation a believer, but eventually, we know, did become a believer. So 316 to 21, I think it's an apt place to close. Very famous passage, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world should be saved through him. He who believes in him is not judged. He who does, does not believe has, not, has been judged already, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the judgment that the light 
The light is come into the world, and men love the darkness rather than the light. We saw that in these Pharisees, for their deeds were evil. And we see that in the Pharisees throughout all four Gospels, over and over again. For everyone who does evil hates the light, but they sure, they sure hated Jesus, didn't they? And does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who practices the truth comes to light, that his deeds may be manifested as having been wrought in God. Again, just like the man who was born blind, you know, perhaps if there's somebody here that has not come to that point where they have recognized their, their blindness uh, and their rejection of the gospel, I would encourage you to, as a blind man, you know, hey, let's follow the analogy of, of John 9. I would say go. Wash. Come back seeing and believing. Let's close in a word of prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, we, we thank you, Lord, for this time together. We thank you for your word and its clarity. And Lord, we just pray as, as your people, we would be good stewards and of your light, that we would indeed bring your light forth and that our light would, would shine and not be held under a bushel. And again, Lord, we thank you for these truths and we thank you for this man who was born blind that through his faith, we too can be encouraged that, and his strength and his willingness to stand up for the truth. In Jesus' name, amen.